Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team to left center deep god brewers lead it and a swing and a miss he struck him out down the line and that's the ball game hey brewer fans welcome to this episode of brewers unfiltered i'm brad ford the social media manager for the milwaukee brewers coming to you from the big apple and i'm joined as always by the illustrious tim dillard and we have a special guest this week the analytical genius, Lane Grindle. Lane, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> I am the furthest thing from anything analytical, but uh, I am glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, I disagree. I've been a fan of your radio broadcast for a long time. As most know, I was a Brewers fan beforehand, and I've always been pro-Lane Grindle. So anytime I get to work with you, Lane, it's a pleasure. And we're happy that you know Adam is taking some time. I guess he can have... You know, a little bit of time in his life, but we're happy that you were able to fill in for him and help us out here. Happy to do it. Happy to be here. Well, while we've been away, uh, some fans might have noticed that the team's been in a bit of a slump. But look, we, we don't want to start with the bad news. We will get to the bad news, but we want to start with the good. This is an optimistic podcast. So, gentlemen, the losing streak is over. Sunday, they ended it. And Craig Council has finally tied Phil Gardner for most managerial wins in franchise history, a landmark that seemed like it took forever to hit. Tim, you know Craig from multiple perspectives, as a friend, as a coach, as a manager. What does this record mean to him? Um, I mean, it means a lot in the moment, I guess. But it's hard to kind of enjoy it until later on, like when the season's over type stuff. Cause when you're in the mix of a season, especially a guy that's high profile manager and has to deal with so many, so many things, um, you know, it, it's hard to kind of just sit there and reflect on it. So he'll definitely enjoy it in the moment, but at, at the same time, it, it'll probably be sometime in the off season where it kind of dawns on him how amazing that actually is. Yeah. And Lane, as someone who talks to him for, you know, the radio show and everything, I think we've gotten a lot of, this is a wee record, right? He's trying to make sure that this doesn't all settle on him. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's what I would have expected Craig's approach to this to be, would be that this is a collective um, accomplishment from the front office on down, uh, all the way through all the players that have helped contribute to this. That's just kind of the way that Craig works and the way that he's kind of wired when it comes to, to building his his team and, and the culture and the, and the chemistry and everything else that comes along with it. So I'm not shocked at all that 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 was his approach to this um, after he tied 
Phil Garner's record on Sunday. But uh, I do think when it's all said and done, when he looks back on this, he's going to be very appreciative of it. I don't think he's going to be overly retrospective about it in the in the coming days because he he wants to to get this team back into first place and and win as many games as they can because he's got a bigger goal and that is to try to get this team to a World Series and to win it. And I think that uh, one of the things Craig's so great at is being singularly focused when he needs to be. But I do think at some point he's going to look back and think about himself as a as a younger guy as a younger kid at times, being such a huge fan of this organization growing up here, um, thinking about Tom Treblehorn and Harvey Keene and all the different managers that came before. And probably when Phil Garner was managing the Brewers, Craig was, that was probably peak fandom for Craig in a lot of ways. So um, I, I know that he has so much respect for scrap iron and and I think he's got to sit back at some point and he's going to really think, man, this is pretty neat from Whitefish Bay to this. Um, pretty pretty special to be able to have the record for the most managerial wins in Brewers history. And I think fitting of how Craig will describe his record is that win that got him it because, you know, it's coming out of a slump. The Brewers had started to play better, Tim. I know you've mentioned that where, you know, the game before was actually, aside from a couple of bad innings, a good progress for a team that was in a bad slump. And then I think that all comes to fruition the next day. You have a great pitching performance from Jason Alexander. The bullpen is amazing. But on top of that, you know, the offense shows up with some good timely hitting. Willie Adamas to start. Uh, You have Adrian McCutcheon show up. So just a, like I said, for a guy who Craig's going to give all the credit to the team, a nice team win to break the streak, right, Tim? Absolutely. But, I mean, I thought they were playing well this entire series in some regard to look at the offense they scored 15 runs in three games that's something that they haven't really been doing a lot of especially to that level uh but their record their magic number's been scoring at least four runs or more and now they're 27 and seven but four of those seven losses have come in the last eight games or actually 11 games so when you start looking at it, okay, they're scoring runs, but they're losing. They just couldn't get the pitching to go along with the, the hitting. The whole thing maybe started, the slump maybe started as a, as a hitting slump, but the, it, it turned into a pitching slump. And you have to put your team in a position to win. And, you know, there were several games that just wasn't the case. Uh, but Jason Alexander was phenomenal. He's just continuing to show that the Brewers can, the Brewers can take anybody and put them through their pitching lab and put them through their minor leagues and give them enough time to when they have to show up for a big moment, they really show up for a big moment. Yeah, pretty ingress, uh, impressive performance from Larry right, Lane? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that Jason Alexander, what, what really is amazing to me and having a chance to talk to him after his first start down at Wrigley is that you look at his three starts, he's had a lot of traffic on the base paths and it never seems to get him rattled at all. Because he knows who he hits. is. Yeah, he knows who he is. Hits. And, and wow. you can speak to this, Tim. Like He understands this is my recipe. And my recipe is I'm going to give up contact. And I'm going to try to induce as much soft contact as possible. But as a result of that, there's going to be a lot of first and second and one out. First and second and two outs. And I have to be confident that that next pitch is going to roll up a double play. And that's my mindset. And, and I think he's been unflappable in that over his first three starts. And I think that's really impressive for a guy that has zero big league experience going back to Memorial Day. And here he is. He pitches like a veteran. It's re- I, mean, I know he's 29 years old, but 
I, I haven't seen many guys be able to step in and do what he's been able to do the way he's been able to do it. Well, the numbers don't add up. They don't add up. They had 21 hits. There's been eight walks. And you're sitting there going, okay, well, how has he been pitching so well? And you only three extra base hits. So he's limiting the, the, the slugging aspect of that. He does have three ground ball double plays. He also gets guys thrown out. Your pitching craft, if you are okay pitching in traffic with guys on base, you have to be quick to the plate. You got to be able to field your position and you got to know how to pitch around guys. There was a couple of at bats in the last game versus the Nationals where he just looked like he wasn't going to pitch to this guy. He was like, nope, I don't care. I got two guys on base. I'm going to walk this dude and I'll load the bases. I don't care. And everyone's looking around going, what? what? What's going on? And it ended up being the right move. So I, I think guys like that are, are, are rare. I think we're finding out about that. But he knows what kind of pitcher he is. He gets tons of ground balls. And so if you give up tons of ground balls, you're going to give up hits. But most of the time, they're going to be singles. Well, we'll continue breaking down the last week and the big win. But... Council might not want to take credit for setting the managerial record, but we know a guy who will give him credit, whether he wants it or not, and also give him a lot of, uh, let's say, guff in Pat Murphy. Adam might not be here, but we put him on assignment. He has a great conversation with Pat. Here it is. I'm here with Pat Murphy, who's generously given us time this morning. Uh, Probably knows Craig Council, the manager of the Brewers, longer than anybody in the room. And Murph, we've been talking a lot about counsel on the podcast recently. And I, I guess I want to start with probably an overcomplicated question, but I'm wondering what your answer is. What for you makes a good manager and why do you think Craig Council has become a good manager? That's a great question. Um, thanks, Adam. I think that obviously leadership is, is number one because it's called a manager because you're managing people and, and having to help them find themselves and help them find, you know, their best self. And Craig does a great job. He's authentic. He's honest. He's direct. He's open. Um, and all those things. And, and he's so consistent. He's got credibility because not only did he play, how he lives his life, um, everybody, everybody knows that. And they trust him. So all those components make him not a guy that has a powerful position that team plays good, but a guy who has influence that's kind of transformational in his approach, and he cares about his people around him, staff, players, um, everyone who works in this organization. You can tell he cares. He's genuine. What do you remember about meeting him, and what year do you figure that was? I met him. Um, I met him in the fall of 1988. Uh, he was a high school senior. Um, I came up here at the direction of. Uh, uh, a gentleman that you all should know in your business, Roger Valdeseri, who was our assistant athletic director at Notre Dame at the time and um, just knew Craig's dad and knew Craig might have some interest in coming to Notre Dame and was a baseball player. And they hooked me up with Sal Bando, who was the general manager of the Brewers at the time. And the kids were going to – Sal's kid and, and uh, Craig were going to work out uh, at uh, Milwaukee County Stadium and that uh, I could come and – and view that and have dinner with Sal after and uh, meet meet uh, John and Jan Council. Um, so I got in my car and I drove and I did it and I didn't regret it, you know. Great kid. You could just see um, that he loved the game and uh, didn't say much. He was quiet, 
But, uh, yeah, his parents were great. Um, John worked for the Brewers, and uh, Jan was an educator for many years, and you could just see hardworking people that cared about the right things. And, yeah, we we made a we made a connection, and uh, <laughs> it's been going on ever since. And how would you convince him to choose Notre Dame? Well, I tell a story all the time. He was the other school he was consist, uh, con- considering was University of Wisconsin, and they had just dropped baseball, so I had to, I had a leg up on it. <laughs> you mentioned County Stadium too, Murph. You're bringing back good memories for a lot of us just by conjuring that. What do you think of that old ballpark? I don't remember much. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was just so. I mean, got out of the car, came into the stadium, got to meet Sal Bando, and, um, and then watched the kids from afar work out, and. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was just a big thrill, but I, I don't remember much of the stadium. This story you've told before, I think I've written it before, but I, I, I doubt everyone who's listening has heard it before. The time you broke Craig Council's nose. Can you tell that story? No, I can, yeah. I mean, we had a, we had a, a field on campus at the university at Notre Dame. Uh, we had um, what you'd call a, a, an average field um, that required a lot of maintenance, but we're out there taking ground balls one day, and uh, it was bitter cold. And I was, Craig was taking ground balls at third. He wanted to be an infielder, and he had, he had played left field as a freshman, done it well, and uh, he he wanted to be an infielder. And um, so I was hitting him ground balls at third. He was playing infield in, and I was smashing balls pretty good. And one of the balls took a bad hop and hit him right in the nose, which you know compared to the average guy, is a little bigger target than, than, than most. And, I mean, literally, and I'm not joking, I was, I was scared. I had a pit in my stomach because his nose was, was kind of further out on his face than his eyes. And uh, I was like, whoa. And it was bleeding, like, profusely. I mean, just spraying blood. And um, they, the trainer got him and um, brought him to the hospital, obviously, and um, I thought, you know, I'll go visit him later, you know, uh, finish practice. Sure enough, an hour later, the kid's back. His, his shirt is absolutely uh, blood-soaked, and he's ready to take more ground balls. And I wouldn't let him, and he's like, no, I'm fine. Hit me some more. And I'm like, well, put a mask on or something. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I knew right then, like, this, kid, this kid's committed. I was going to say, you, you probably learned, I, I think you've said before, you, you learned almost everything you need to know about the, the person uh, in a moment like that. You do learn a lot. Um, and, and he was dead serious. He wasn't trying to grandstand it. He, he just said, hey, I'm ready to go. I'll take more balls. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to. I didn't want to risk what would happen if I made that decision. But um, no, he, he, he did it every day. I mean, he, he, he came to work every day ready to uh, participate, ready to compete. And uh, any challenge we put in front of him, he he took it on and did it well. And he just morphed into this really solid player. And then by the time he was a senior, he was just better than everyone because he was so consistent. He did everything. He picked up every ball. His release was incredible. It was just simple release. He threw strikes across the diamond. He centered baseballs at the plate. You know, he hit the ball hard to every field. He hit the ball with power finally his senior year. Um, but he earned that. He just got better and better um, every year. And, and all that said, Murph, uh, did you see him playing pro ball? At first I didn't. Um, by the senior year, I even made a comment, and I would often make these comments, Adam, and just 
I was full of crap, but I would say Craig Council will be our next major leaguer. And I meant that when I said it. And uh, uh, he was Notre Dame's next major leaguer. And uh, he played for a lot of years, made us all look good. And uh, he's made me look good for, for many, many years. So it's uh, it was a thrill. But you could tell at the end. You, you just, this kid, we went to a regional in Miami um, back when Miami was a dominant program. And uh, Craig just showed out. You know, he was the best player on the field. Everybody's like, and it, and it takes a while because he doesn't stand out when you just look out there or you watch him take infield and or you watch him take BP. But when you watch three or four games, you're like, wow, who is that kid? And it was evident then that this guy was going to play. Does it bother you that he looks exactly the same now as he did when he was a player and he doesn't age like the rest of us? No, he ages. <laughs> no, I've, I've been standing behind him for seven years. I've watched him age, you know. Um, he's aged me by watching him age. Uh, no, he he uh, he does have a youthful look, and uh, he's he's still sh- sharp as a whip. And I just like to remind him that he's getting older. Murph, when he went off to play and then made it to the major leagues, how close of contact did you guys stay in? You know, especially during those two World Series years, he played such a special role for for the Marlins and, and the Diamondbacks. Um, how how closely were you tuned into all of that? Yeah, we stayed in touch. You know, I, I was close with his mom and dad. I was close with his sister, Jen. She worked in the office um, at Notre Dame with me and, and helped me do a bunch of projects. And um, so I was always in touch and then followed his minor league career and would keep in touch. And um, I would always be telling the scouts, keep an eye on counsel. And, you know, um, one of the scouts is actually the guy that signed me, Dick Egan, always tells a story that he'd come to my practices at ASU and I would always say, hey, the Rockies are in town today. Uh, the AAA team's in town to play the Phoenix team. Get over there and, and look at counsel. You know, that, that kid can play. And, and Dick was one of the scouts with the Marlins that ended up uh, bringing Craig over there that year and, and, and the rest is history. But, um, yeah, we, we stayed in touch. And then after he got in the big leagues, especially in Arizona, um, you know, we saw each other frequently throughout the season and and uh, had many dinners, many five-hour dinners uh, talking baseball. We didn't talk about anything else. So obviously to flash forward, you know, Council wins the World Series a couple of places. He plays for the Brewers here in Milwaukee. Everybody thinks he has – everybody has said they could see a future manager should that be his choice. Then he works in the Brewers' front office. Then he does manage. And you guys get to manage against each other. Um, is that something you ever saw coming? No, no. I, I didn't think Craig would go that route. Um, it's clear to see now that, that it's obvious that he could have, but I just he didn't ever he never mentioned wanting to do that. He just he just loved talking the game and um, he loved uh, you know he, he was invested in college baseball. He was invested in in professional baseball. He just loved talking about it and the differences and all that. So um, then you know yeah he he when he got the job here he called me and said hey. Would you, would you consider coming over? I was a AAA manager of the Padres at the time. He said, would you com- consider coming over and helping me get started? I'm like, absolutely. But then the Padres said no, and then the Padres named me the interim manager, and we got the uh, – luck would have it. Craig then gets named the manager, and I'm the interim manager, so we get to play against each other in a couple series. So it was, it was fun. Yeah, it was – I'd say it was fun. It was – I was getting my feet wet and, you know uh, – learning the big leagues and he was, you know, he had to inherit something that was very tough too. So we were both kind of fledgling teams. 
Well, and then at the end of that season, you become a free agent. Uh, what were the negotiations like when he called you again? Very intense negotiations. <laughs> yeah, he called me on the day I was riding home from Dodger Stadium, uh, our last game of the season, and the, the Padres were going to open the job up to everybody. And um, I just um, got the call on that way on the way home. And Craig said, "Are you in?" I said, "I'm in." So that was the negotiations. He said, "Well, you got to talk to Stearns," and uh, Stearns called me the next day, and it was over. Probably a, a total negotiating time, probably four minutes. <laughs> Murph, uh, just again, there's many different people listen, and they're either watching the Brewers every day or watching the Brewers now and then. Can you explain how you view the job of a bench coach? Like, what in in your head when it's going right? What are you doing for counsel? <laughs> uh, a lot of people would have different opinions on that, um, Craig included. But I think the bench coach job, <clears throat> in general, is you got his back, you know, and you have to manage the game too. You have to be ready, not just for when he gets ejected um, or he's out with COVID for two weeks or whatever, but you have to be thinking along with it. And that's tough to do when it's not your responsibility. It's tough to <clears throat> manage the game uh, knowing all the, that we know before the game. And uh, I think all the coaches do that. But I'm the one that gets to stand next to them and, and mention something here or there um, that might jog his brain to, you know, do something else. And then, you you know, you're for me here, I kind of oversee the coaches and see what, what they're doing and, you know um, – if they have issues or they have things that we want to keep off Craig's plate. Since I've been in that role that Craig's in and I've watched that role for Craig develop and what he's good at and what he's not, it's kind of a fun job where you just kind of pick up the pieces or try to be there when he turns around and needs something. Um, and I've never been an assistant ever in my life. For I started coaching in 1982. So you think about it, 40 years in the business, this has been a great seven years being a, the, the backup and um, getting to getting to see it from that perspective, what a, what an opportunity, what an experience, and yeah, it's uh, it, and I think every bench coach is different, and every bench coach would have, um, you know, a different role depending on what the manager's strengths and, and weaknesses are. I'm sure after being together for so long and watching so much baseball, and Craig calls it a baseball conversation you guys have had for thirty plus years, that you're often on the same page as in terms of like in game you know, X's and O's, managerial decisions. But how often are you not on the same page? How often do you guys um, sort of disagree during games? Yeah, I think, I think there's plenty of disagreement, um, sometimes on purpose, you know, um, both, both ways. Um, but I, th I think it's, it's just one of those things where we both generally just want to do what's best for that situation. And they don't want me studying the numbers. They don't want me looking at the – you know, the analytics of it all and, and diving in there. They want my opinion. They want me to, to feel it raw and say, okay, this is what I think. And oftentimes that leads to difference of opinion. And, um, or you go more on gut feel or you go more on um, what you think is appropriate for that player. Um, so, so, again, that, that causes, uh, you know, uh, disagreements and, and that's the fun part of it. At the end of the day, he's got to make the call. He's got a way, way, way tougher job than I do. 
way tougher. And nothing about my job is, is anything but, you know, a great opportunity. His job is difficult, and there's a lot of hats he wears, and there's a lot of responsibility, and he's detailed, and he's on, to- he's on top of it. He really is. He's impressed me beyond what I ever thought. That's interesting you say that because, you know, he's been spent this season coming up on Phil Garner and the most wins for the Brewers as a manager and regular, regular season wins in franchise history. And I got to talk to, to Phil Garner who said that to him is the toughest part of the job is there are so many voices who think they know the right answers to whatever problem the team is facing. And as true as that was when he managed here in Milwaukee and later on in Houston and other places, it's like 10 times more true now. Because there are so many people involved in the decision-making day-to-day of just running this ball club. And, like, how do do you ever look at counsel and be like, man, I'm glad I don't have to be the one sifting through all those uh, right answers? Some days, you know, I see all that he goes through, and he doesn't really shut it off. He doesn't let his hair down too often. Um, And that's why it's great. We have some conversations and laugh. We try to keep it light. And I think that's one of the things that I've had to learn, okay, what can you do to help? Because my normal stoic that people laugh about, you know, stoic, he never smiles. If they only knew behind the scenes, you know, like that's all we do. You know what I mean? We're laughing, joking, having fun, keeping it light, um, poking fun at each other, playing games. You know, like that's something that I think is necessary in my role to keep it light um, because it counts as intense, you know, and it's by nature he's not – He's not going to mess around, so we keep him on his toes. And the whole staff's part of this. I'm not, I'm not the key figure. I mean, we've got a great staff, great bunch of guys, and um, and they all they, they all love counts and and respect them. There's no there's nobody you know whispering wow, this or that. They they all respect him, and if they have any disagreements, they can talk openly to him. Yeah, he's he's a great leader. He really is. Well, you mentioned keeping it light because I have to ask you about that. Like you're known for. <laughs> I don't know what the word is, Murph, pr- pranks or just saying something that is completely unexpected or just keeping everybody on their toes, I think is the best way to put it. Do you do that with counts? I do, yeah. We have a thing called the check game that you've heard about um, that we check each other. I'm, I'm the check game master, let that be known, and uh, it's my game, you know. <laughs> I tell Can you explain the rules of the check game? The, there's, the, the rules are in my head. And I don't, I don't often explain them, and I don't have to because it's my game. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway. Um, so what we do, it's kind of keeping everybody accountable on the staff. Um, if you're on the staff, from Mark, the owner, to David, to, you know, the person that's uh, cleaning up at night, we're all on the staff, we're all equal. And um, if you misrepresent or you do something that's um, look at me type of thing, you're going to get checked. So Mark, yesterday, the owner got a check for wearing a Brewer's, Brewer's uh, jacket out in public. Like, what does he want? He wants to let everybody know he's the owner? Come on, Mark. Let's go. You got enough, you got enough uh, accolades coming your way. We, we, we checked him for it. So we do the same thing with Counts. You know, if Counts picks up a bat and takes a half swing or something, we're like, oh, glory days. That's a check. You know, well, everybody wants to check your baseball card, you know. Um, so... Yeah, we're, we have a lot of fun. And, and it's, it's what I've figured out. It has to be a role, and um, someone's got to do it, so I'm lucky enough to, to do it. And I'm, you know, in the scout rating, I'm 70 funny, you know. 
council Moses lawn and a brewer's riding lawnmower, right? I mean, where's where that in the check game? I would think that's a pretty big check. It is a check, actually. You know, he wants everybody to know in the street that, hey, I'm, I'm Craig. I'm, I'm kidding. But now we, we have a lot of fun with it. Anybody's fair game. And um, I guess I've been designated as the guy that uh, starts most of it. But yeah, it, it, I think it keeps morale, especially in times like these when we're, we're struggling and there's been a lot you know, unsaid things that have, that have happened that are, you know, unfortunate for us, but, um, we, we move ahead and we keep it light. Murph, just last question for you. In, in 2020, you had to, you were away from the team for a while, had to, you know, had to get right, had to get healthy again after a scare early in, in summer camp. How did that experience change, if at all, your relationship with Craig? Well, you know, I woke up in the hospital and there, there he is sitting there. And, uh, yeah, he stayed like three hours. I'm like, let's get out of here, man. Go, go, go be with your family. Go live your life. Let's get ball club ready for tomorrow. And, uh, no, nah, he showed, he showed great concern and, uh, that touched me. It really did. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's, he's part of the family. That's, that's the way it is. We've, we've known each other and worked together a long time. It's not, it's, it's, uh, it's emotional to think about. I mean, eighty-eight. How many years is that? I mean, it's thirty-four years of some type of connection in the game, and uh, you know, I've learned a lot from him. I've learned a lot from him, and um, yeah, we've had a lot of laughs and we've had a lot of great times together. And uh, you know, that, that's that's probably going to continue. Pat, thank you for all this time. I appreciate it. You guys have a lot to do, and you came in here and sat with us for a long time to tell some stories. So we very much appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Believe me, it's my pleasure. Always great to hear from Pat Murphy, uh, one of the greater characters in the Brewers Clubhouse. We need to take a break, but when we come back, we'll talk about the team's recent losing streaks, some more, the upcoming Mets series, plus chat with Timber Rattler's catcher Alex Hall about a surprise call-up in May. Hey, we're back, and we told you, you know, we don't want to be a, a pessimistic, but the team did just have an eight-game losing streak after a brutal start to the month. They finally got the win on Sunday. We talked about, you know, that being a team win, but Tim, I guess in terms of just motivation, how much is that win needed for the clubhouse? Well, when things start building up, that, that's what they're doing. They're building up. They're stacking up, and it stacks up in your mind a little bit. As a player, you're going, okay, okay, this one makes it even harder. This one makes it even harder. And once you can finally get that game, you can just go, oh, thank God, it's over. You know, and it's just a, it's a mind healer, honestly, is what it is. You just can kind of go, okay, let's get back on track to what we're doing uh, and who we are. So that I, it's a big deal. It's a big deal when guys step up in big moments. I think Christian Yelich. Had some big moments. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon, uh, I think the catching staff was doing well. I, I think there's a lot of positive things. Even the last few games they lost, they were still playing some really good baseball, and they were just getting beat by these hot teams. So when I look at the 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 streak, the losing streak in that way, I look at it as they were facing some really good teams that were hot. Padres, Phillies, Nats, those guys were scoring runs, and their pitching staffs were just shutting people down. So that right there, they're not going to face those type of teams all the time but yeah they do have the Mets coming up so <laughs> and no breaks no breaks now who you play and when you play them it matters in the context of the season now it has a tendency to even out over the course of 162 
But there's no doubt that the Brewers caught the Padres at a time where they started to surge. And they're just going to be there all year long. San Diego, with their rotation, they're not going to have a lot of slides. And, and we didn't expect the Brewers to have an eight-game slide either with their rotation. But I thought you accurately kind of described, uh, Tim, earlier, maybe what the bigger issue in that slide was. And that was a, a, the, the pitching. And, and, and the reason why is because we know what the Brewers are, right? We, I think we have a pretty good feel for what this team is. It's going to go as far as its pitching takes it. Now, you hope you can supplement it with some additional offense and get some guys hot and maybe have some stretches where the offense carries you because that's an important part of the entire equation. But the strength of this team is its pitching. And so when you're scoring four and five runs, most of the time you think that's going to be good enough for this group. Um, but you get up against a Phillies team that was red hot uh, and, and obviously some things went against the Brewers in that regard. But there's some underlying things, I think, when you look at the numbers offensively that are really encouraging for the long haul for this team. You mentioned Yelich. Um, I think he fits that role really well at the top of this lineup. He gets on base a lot. He's going to get his walks. He's starting to, to swing the bat, I think, really well uh, also, which is a, a great thing to see. But um, you go on down that list. I mean, I think Hunter Renfro is still going to be there against left-handed pitching, and that's going to be really important because we know that this team has had some struggles against left-handed pitching. McCutcheon's starting to look um, like the guy that he was before he had COVID and, and, and things kind of took his timing off a little bit, I think, with this season. So I, I think there's some really encouraging things there with this team offensively that we're starting to see. Um, Omar Narvaez is swinging the bat very well right now. And uh, that's exciting. Uh, hopefully they can get you know another guy or two going. Maybe it's uh, Tyrone Taylor getting warmed back up again after kind of a tough homestand and a, a not as great start to this road trip, whoever it may be. But uh, I think there are some signs that the offense is starting to get some guys going a little bit. And I think that's going to be very, very helpful. Yeah, and Tim talked in the last segment a little bit about how you know, this started as an offensive slump, but I agree with you both. The offense really came out of it well. Tim, is there a situation there where you look and you see the pitchers know that the offense is struggling for various reasons? And I think a lot of it has to do with not only were a lot of guys injured at the same time, but then they came back from injury at the same time and had to refine, like discover their rhythm again altogether. But on top of that, you're you're watching the offense struggle. You're watching them try to put runs on the board as a pitcher, could we kind of put any of the struggles that the team had towards the pitchers feeling like they need to go out and do, or have almost a perfect game in order to be successful? Is there anything that you've experienced like that before? Well, I think if we're going to talk about this at all, we're going to talk about there has been injuries. You know, I feel like that hasn't been over, you know, we haven't stated that enough. Guys in the bullpen, Perdomo, Cousins, you know, you get Woodruff, starting rotation, Freddie, those guys are all stars. So, I mean, you start looking at the pitching, there has been setbacks. Uh, but I think really, obviously, you could tell um, Aaron Ashby, uh, Corbin Burns, I think in the middle of their last starts, I think they just wanted to do more than they were even capable of. I think they were, I mean, you saw the way Burns was grinding out every single inning, just not wanting to give up an inch. Um, and, and I think that comes from saying, okay, I need to do something more. These guys are expecting me to be perfect out here and I'm going to try to do that. 
And the problem is you can't be perfect out there. You could throw the best pitch ever. And believe me, umpires will say, no, not a chance. <laughs> you know, they just, that's just what you're going to get. And that right there is frustrating. So I think in looking at Ashby's start, he threw a pitch right down the middle and it was a ball. And then that kind of set the tone for like everything after that. He ended up walking that guy and he ended up trying to, you can see his velocity go up a little bit. He's trying to throw a little harder, you know, and when you try to do more, especially as a pitcher, it's not going to work. If you throw a nasty slider and you try to throw the next one even nastier, one or two things happens. Either you, you throw it in the dirt and it's terrible or you back it up and you never see it again. So that right there is kind of where you're fighting the whole time as a pitcher. It was like, okay, when do I turn up a notch and when do I need to just kind of do less? But um, that is a real thing. Pitchers really want to say, okay, this is my day. I'm going to do this. I'm going to fix this, guys. And it's frustrating when it doesn't go your way. And Lane, we already talked about it a little bit, but with the pitching staff kind of having that pressure on it, not only just pressure of, okay, the offense is slumping, so we need to limit runs the best we can, but also the bullpen has been used a lot in the last two or three weeks because of injuries. How big is it for Jason Alexander to come up? He has the third best ERA in franchise history after three appearances. His contributions with the rotation have been huge with the injuries and kind of taking some of the pressure off of everybody, right? Yeah, I mean, look, Jason Alexander has been one of the real keys to this team trying to tread water through this stretch of injuries and and everything else that's been going on. And so um, it's been quite a find for this organization. And and they have found um, kind of a a little bit of a niche where they've been able to do this over the years is is find somebody that maybe another organization gave up on and they can find a way to maximize their strengths and make it play at the big league level. It's been relievers primarily in the past, whether it was J.P. Fireisen, um, whether it was uh, Jake Cousins, another example, Justin Topa, another example. But the Brewers have done a really nice job of finding guys that that, that aren't big prospects, that, that aren't guys that um, other teams are clamoring trying to, to, to get on, on their 40-man roster uh, or just in their organization, period. And they understand how to break a guy down and say, this is what you do well, and this is how you can be successful. And I think a lot of people deserve credit for that. Um, but, and rightfully so, Chris Hook, deserves a ton of the credit for it because if you talk to any of these guys whether it's the guys that were with him in the minors and I think that's a huge deal it's a total totally different conversation we could have on another day with a Freddie Peralta and a Brandon Woodruff and a Corbin Burns that they they've worked with Chris Hook there you know to some degree throughout their entire professional careers and so there's an understanding of how to communicate with each other and and what you can feed this guy from there's that term analytical again but from an analytics standpoint that is going to help them better understand what makes them successful. Chris Hook is such a master at that. He's so good at that, at understanding those things and, and how, how to relay them to his to his pitchers. And every guy's different. Uh, every guy consumes that information in a different way. And I think that's what makes Chris Hook so, so good as a pitching coach and, and this organization in general, just having a good feel for what they want to do and how they want to do it. If you're, if you're an organization like the Brewers that – is not going to have a $200 million payroll. You have to find certain lanes that you are going to excel in. And preferably you're going to excel in all of them. But you have to find, you have to be better at identifying talent. You have to be better at finding 
those diamonds in the rough, so to speak, and you have to be outstanding at development. And the Brewers, from a pitching development standpoint, are in a class that maybe only the Rays, I think you could probably put in that conversation. Maybe there's another organization that I'm missing. But uh, they've done a great job at this, and Jason Alexander is just the latest example of it. Hearing that, Tim, are you ready to get back on the mound? You know what? Seeing the, how the sinker's been playing this year, yes, I, I am. My <laughs> wife says no, but my heart says yes. <laughs> well, I think we have in your Brewers unfiltered contract that you can't leave ever. Oh, well, if that's the only thing, yeah, got it. <laughs> so I mean, if you go back on the mound, you just got to still be a co-host. It's fine. Well, I we'll threw the first work. pitch out, and it was a strike, and it had good sink on it. I don't think it was that hard, but I think I could pull that off. Get, get me in that anything to get back in that pitching lab, right? Or to get into it to the first time since they just built it or whatever a few years ago. That's what I could do. I could do undercover. <laughs> and then and then you have to fire the bradzuka because when you threw out the first pitch, then you went and fired off the bradzuka, right? You were well. That was my my bonus. If I would have thrown a ball, they wouldn't let me sh- shoot the bradzuka. <laughs> Jeff Cirillo was there the other day and shot the brat Zuka. Yeah. You see that? Yeah, I did see that. You get a brat. You get a brat. So you've heard it here, folks. Tim Dillard can still dominate high A ball. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We talked about it at the top. We're at the Big Apple. And why are we here? Because the Brewers are playing a pretty good Mets team. Uh, hoping to stack together some wins Beating a team like this would be huge, right, Lane? Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you keep talking, uh, and not you specifically, but people keep talking about that eight-game losing streak and is the team going to get itself back on track? And Sunday was a great first step in that. But you can build momentum if you win two out of three in New York. Everybody forgets about that right away. Um, that's how the season goes, is that there's going to be stretches like the one the Brewers just went through, and hopefully that stretch is over now and they can put it behind them. And if you looked at the schedule and you and you just understood that this team was going to be in the midst of three three city trips in a row, very few home games in between there, not one three series homestand in the middle to kind of break it up, and that they were going to have the injuries that they had and 18 games in 17 days, uh, which was a stretch in here too, you would have understood that hey, there might be a point where this team gets a, a, a little bit. Uh, you know, a little bit beat up and a little bit tired. And I'm not saying that they were tired, but it, it, it's it, it's if you were going to find a stretch that was going to be a grind for this team, this was going to be it when you looked at the schedule before the season. And so that's what's going on. But um, as we've talked about, look, the 2018 team had a seven-game losing streak. And I, I think back then there was more pressure because it was about getting back to the postseason after missing it by a game the year before. And you could sense maybe a little bit of tension uh, with that club at that point in time. Not a ton, but a little bit. I didn't sense much at all with this group. They know they're good. They know what they're capable of. They also have all been through this so many times that they get that this is a part of the season. This is a part of the journey and that it's going to take care of itself at some point and they're going to come out the other end of it. If they want to kind of just completely put that behind them, they go win two out of three at City Field. That's all anybody's going to be talking about because this is a game. <laughs> what have you done for me lately? And the Mets are one of the premier teams right now in baseball. And so this is an opportunity to go change that, actually build momentum going into Cincinnati, and everybody will be uh, totally, you know, uh, past what happened last week. Yeah. 
It was funny. Actually, I went to MLB Network on Monday with Rowdy. And a lot of the guys were talking about, a lot of the staff there were talking about how if this eight-game losing streak happens in the first week of the season, it's probably a narrative throughout the rest of the year. But because it happens in the middle of the season, it's one of those things where, like you said, you have a good series right afterwards and people basically just stop talking about it, which is kind of the advantage to it. But how good does it feel for a team that was struggling if they can come in and take two out of three and win a series against a team that's as stacked and as well regarded as the Mets, Tim? Yeah, well, I mean, if you look at what the Brewers did through their first 60 games last year, they had the exact same record as they did this year through the first 60 games. So that right there shows you what the team's capable of at this juncture. So moving forward, uh, for them, uh, they're, they're still playing good baseball, but you're going up against the Mets. They're, they're one of two teams that have 40 wins. Um, but I start digging into the numbers. So they do score. <laughs> Me going into numbers. Who knew, right? <laughs> <laughs> you changed, Tim. Yeah, you changed. Lane. <laughs> Lane, you're new. You don't know about this stuff. But, um, but they've scored 316 runs uh, this season, which is the most in baseball. Uh, that's over five runs a game. And, <clears throat> and you start looking at their home runs. They're 18th in home runs. So that doesn't really add up. You're like, okay, well, what, what is going on there? But the first in hits, which obviously most of those are going to be singles. So what does that tell you? That tells you that there's a team in Queens that's going, you know what? We're going to hit the ball where you're not standing. That's going to be tough, I think, for the Brewers just because they love the shift and things like that. So you look at this team, and they're going to try to get on base however they can. They're going to hit the ball where the Brewers aren't standing. And a lot of times that can be intimidating. And I think that's what the Mets have been doing. Um, on this, you know, on this season, that's what makes it different. I think from some of their seasons in the past. So uh, I think the Brewers are going to have to have some sort of formula to figure out, okay, we're going to keep them in the ballpark. Uh, but, but how do we stop the hits when they start coming? Because it's kind of a streaky, streaky lineup. Yeah. I think it also says too, Tim, that there, there aren't outs in this lineup. Um, yeah. one through nine, you're, you're going to get challenged on the mound with every guy in the lineup. And, and I think if you looked at this team and the roster before the season, said, okay, if they stay healthy and if guys perform to the back of their baseball cards, this is going to be a really formidable lineup and a really good bench too, quite frankly. I mean, I think the only maybe weakness that this team has right now is the catcher position offensively. Um, McCann hasn't been as good as they had hoped he would be. Um, and so that's probably an area that you'll see the Mets focus on at the, the trade deadline, whether that's Wilson Contreras or somebody else, um, that remains to be seen. But this is this is a really formidable lineup. There is power in it. Obviously, Pete Alonso has about as much power as anybody in baseball, but it, it's not as much power maybe one through nine as uh, some of these other lineups that the Brewers will fit, like the Phillies. It, it's, it's a much different team than the Phillies yeah. offensively. Probably a little bit more like that Nationals team that the Brewers just faced. I mean, a, a better version of it, but... Um, and we've seen these teams that put the ball in play at times give the Brewers some problems because of the fact that the Brewers really thrive on striking people out and not allowing the ball to be put in play. Yep. And so that that's going to, I think, going to be an interesting to thing to follow in this series over these next three days is, is you know, how how the Mets are able to put pressure on Brewers pitching and how the Brewers are able to execute with runners on base and, and get out of some jams because there's going to be moments in this series where that's going to have to happen. And in great news, we get to face the Mets before Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer are healthy again, which 
I'm for as good as this team has been, they only had Scherzer for about a month of it, and Degrom hasn't pitched, thrown a pitch this season. So uh, we're we're not really seeing the scariest iteration of the Mets. So happy to get out of the Big Apple before that happens. I, I think the guys would be up for the challenge, but as a fan, I I'm happy to get out before that happens. Especially a fan who wants to see a couple wins strung together. But we need to take another break. When we return. We're talking about, you know, the Mets had a catching problem. The Brewers had a one-day catching problem. And they called up a high-A catcher. We're going to talk about his experience in the majors, what that was like, and then coming back and being the hero of the Timber Rattlers locker room. Stay tuned. And we're back again Adam doesn't really get a week off from the podcast. We sent him out on assignment, and I joined him to make sure he's doing his best work. To talk to Alex Hall, the catcher who had just an amazing moment, gets called up as an emergency when Omar Novaez goes on the IL. He's the only guy really around that the Brewers can call to be that backup catcher. So we we talked to him about what that experience was like, how his family reacted, and also... Just how much better that big league life is than the minor league life. And what he kind of took out of the clubhouse, you know, and he might have snuck a few things with him on his way back to high A. Uh, Well, this is Adam. I'm here with Brad Ford, who normally hosts the podcast, but I am stealing host duties for this segment because we have a very special... Do you have something to say about that? You know, I just, I trust you with the wheel, but I'm nervous. Okay, just let me do it then. We have a special guest... Uh, directly from who I should have looked where you are right now. I'm just going to guess Appleton. Uh, actually in Beloit right now. Ah, I guessed wrong. Shoot. I need to look at the schedule from Beloit, Wisconsin, still in the state of Wisconsin. We have Alex Hall and we can call him major league catcher Alex Hall because on June 2nd, uh, Alex was called up from high a, and I was thinking back in my memory bank to think if I've seen that before, I I don't think I have. I, I I don't know if it's on. I can't say it's unprecedented in Brewers history, but I'm just going to guess that it is because I don't think it happens very often. So Alex Hall, we just wanted to revisit with you a little bit about that day. And we say thank you very much for giving us the time and coming on the pod. That's right, guys. Thanks. Good to be here. Um, I was going to start by just saying, can, can what, what's happened since then, since your day in the big leagues? Um, honestly, it's just go back to normal. Uh, Back to high A with all the guys. They all give me a bit of shit. And, uh, well, it's like good stuff. Um, they give them mucking around with me and uh, having fun. But it's back to the grind and uh, back to playing again in high A and having a lot of fun with the team I'm at right now. Now, I know we've you've definitely talked a lot about your call-up. But because it was such an exciting moment, why don't you re-walk us through everything that happened from you having to basically jump out in gym shorts and drive down the few hours from Appleton what was that experience like? Can you walk us through the call you got and getting to the ballpark and what you're doing on your drive here? Um, so it all started with got off the field from practice because we had a game that day. Um, was sitting in a like dining area eating some spread and playing some card games with Darren Miller and a few others. And um, Tom Funnigan walks in and taps me on the shoulder and he goes, hey, can we have a talk? Pulls me into the office with all the other guys. All the coaches are in there. Joe Arrows on a FaceTime. Um, started like messing around with a few jokes about COVID, about 
how I've avoided it for this long, but one of ours has gone down. But then uh, he said, since you've avoided it, we need you to go to the show. So, uh, and like I was in shock. I thought I was being pranked. Like I didn't smile or anything. Um, I didn't think it was real. I was like, no, this is not happening right now. Because I'm in high A, right? So, uh, and then he's like, no, nah, but seriously, you're going to the show. Joe Everett's on the phone screaming at me, like, let's go. And um, I go outside and start packing my bags. I start packing them and looking around to see if anyone starts laughing at me, like just in case it was a prank. But it ended up not being a prank and um, got my stuff packed, got in the car in about, about six minutes, had a shower quickly. I was in my gym shorts and clothes. And then I was in the car with some guy I've never met before, driving me down to Milwaukee all the way to the stadium. Uh, introduced myself to him the first time. We are in the car for an hour and a half, had a few chats. Rang my uh, mum and dad back home first and said the same situation. Didn't think it was real. Dad was the same. He's like, are you kidding? Like eight times, like, are you sure? And uh, rang some other close family friends and then ended up getting to the stadium and I was actually there. I was going to ask you, is that the point where you actually <laughs> were sure it wasn't a prank? Because it would be a really good prank if you got a guy to get in the car and drive all the way to, I mean, it would be a very cruel prank too. But I know ballplayers sometimes, you know, that never stopped a ball player from from doing something like that. Like, when you're in the car, are you sure, like, for sure, for sure this is happening? Yeah, I I guess about when the guy put the maps into the stadium and um, about 30 minutes in, it kind of, it kind of set in that I was actually going there. The nerves weren't there yet until about the third inning. But, I mean, Tom Flanagan told me to go. Like, I guess you can't say no to Tom Flanagan. So uh, <laughs> I had to get in the car and I just, I did it. So, yeah. I guess when you get called into that meeting off the field and you see, like, every important member of the, of Appleton and every important member of the Brewers minor league system, what do you think is happening? Are you going, are you like, I'm, Am I going to double A? Am I getting demoted? Like, what do you initially think that conversation's about? Uh, honestly, he, when he taps me on the shoulder, he said, hey, can we have a chat? Uh, my first thought was, this can't be good. Like, I could be getting demoted or released, either one. It just, it's just, uh, especially like the midweek of a, of a series, usually like call-ups and promotions happen at the end of the week. So it's been a crazy year, I guess, with uh, stuff like that happening. And, um, but yeah, it was all an exciting time in the end. You you said you were playing cards with Darian Miller, right? Yes. What what card game? It's called Casino. I've never played it before. It's it's like you got to match cards, to other cards to build other cards. Uh, it took me a couple of weeks to to get it, but uh, yeah, we're, we're crushing it every day now since that happened. You know, it's interesting that you happen to be sitting with Darian Miller. I think Brewers fans know him. He's a a really good catching prospect in the organization that, that they really like and uh, was at that mini camp that they had early. What was his reaction, Alex? Because, you know, you guys play the same position. A catcher goes down. This happens in the minor leagues all the time where only one guy can get the call, right? What was what was his reaction to all this? Uh, I think he didn't know until I went into the meeting and then someone told the playing group for when I was coming out. and then, But he was really happy for me and um, – me and him are actually roommates full time on the road and stuff like that. So we're always hanging out together. We always we always got each other's back. Like if one of us has a, a rough night, we buy each other food that night. So we have we have a good good time, good laugh all the time and we're just good people together and we always have fun. But he was really happy for me at that time and uh, I thank him all the time as well. He's a good he's a good guy. 
So you get back, how many questions do you have to answer from your teammates? How many of them are like, what, what's the big league experience like? What's the food like? What, what, what was different? How much better was it to be like in this luxury locker room? How many questions are you getting and having to describe what a big league experience is like? Um, yeah, I got it probably just about from everyone and probably more people from fans like giving signatures out after games and stuff like that. Just the, the most common question was like, like, what is it like? I'm like, it's everything that you can think of and probably more. So it was a great time. Well, they gave you a walk off too. I mean, I don't know how many guys get called period. How many guys get called up to the big leagues and their very first day is like a, you know, Gatorade bath for somebody. Yeah, no, it was wild. Cause um, the T-Rats have actually had about five walk-offs this year. And, uh, I guess I just brought that momentum up there and we'd say that and uh, gave the bros a little lift, but I wish I could have stayed, but yeah, it was a great time. So we can be honest here. We're all friends. What did you take out of the clubhouse? We won't tell Shogger. Uh, I didn't take anything. Uh, I got given some some bats, uh, some batting gloves from Yelich. Uh, I got all the, the bros clothing stuff that was in my locker. The club used to say I could have that, which was really nice. I got some the Brewers like shower shoes, which are really cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I actually had a, got a phone charger because I didn't get to pack one, so that was another bonus because my phone was flat and I stayed there the night. Um, and the, the hotel, that's it. But nothing else really. I took from the clubhouse. Um, a lot of food, I guess, went in. But yeah, yeah, you talked about that. That was a favorite, my favorite part of our post game conversation when we all crowded around you and shoved cameras in your face. <laughs> Was, uh, you know, you didn't want to, you're not going to talk down the spread there up there in, in Wisconsin, but the big league spread was better, huh? Yeah, um, exactly. I wasn't going to talk it down, but I guess everyone knows that the big league spread is big league spread. All right. Um, steak, pasta, seafood, anything you want, really, you could, you could get there. Was there one item where you're like, I know I'm never going to get this again, so I just have to keep going at it. <laughs> I mean, you can get steaks in Appleton, but they're uh, not as good as the ones in big league. So I had about three, three stakes at big league and they were pretty big stakes. Um, to, to go a little bigger picture, Alex, I mean, people can listen and hear your accent probably and understand that you're, uh, you're, you're from Australia. You're from Western Australia, right? Yeah, that's correct. Can you tell us about baseball there? Um, growing up, you know, I think here, Brad and I probably had the experience. You, you, you're a kid growing up here, you play baseball. Um, is it that common for kids in Australia? Uh, no, it's actually not. It's probably, uh, like a, the fourth or fifth sport in Australia that to play, uh, the first sport's probably Australian rules football. And then it goes like basketball, netball, soccer, and then baseball comes around. So it starts off pretty good in like T-ball. A lot of young kids play that. And then after T-ball, they move on to other sports, but the ones that stick around go to little league and all the other grades like that. But it's, it's slowly getting bigger, um, especially in the junior level, which is good. So then they all hopefully go to the senior level, but club ball in a, in Western Australia is getting a lot better, I think. Um, and then there's also the Australian baseball league, which is getting better in um, quality and pitches and players that are coming out. Right. And I actually know a former brewer and somewhat mentor of yours is a big part in kind of boosting the baseball scene in Australian baseball. Can you talk about, or can you tell us about your relationship with Davey and what he's meant to you as a player? I mean, I know he's done some outreach and support in that regard. 
David Nelson, are you talking about? Yeah, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. so I guess uh, he's actually my scout. He's the first guy that reached out to me. Um, he's also the Team Australia coach right now, manager. So, But he's really good. He's reached out to me a lot lately, just tough times, good times, saying that, you know, it'll be okay kind of thing. We'll keep going. But he's also helped me a lot with catching and hitting. Um, as you know, he's an all-style the Brewers and stuff like that and a really long-time player and a catcher. That's what I want to be. So if he can do it for this long, I want it to be like him and get as much information out of him as I could. Alex, does he ever talk about his Brewers days? That's like my wheelhouse of kind of growing up uh, in this area. I was watching Dave Nilsson, and I, I th- if I remember, I think he went out in all-star. I think he was an all-star in his final season in Major League Baseball and had like one of his best years. Has he ever talked to you about like playing at County Stadium and playing in Milwaukee? Nah, he doesn't bring up too many post post stories. I think he keeps them kind of tight uh, within within himself. But any like tips and tricks he'll give me, but no, no no stories about him really comes out. I guess in a world where not a lot of people play baseball, or in a country where not a lot of people play baseball, what does it mean to have a mentor or a scout like that who? you know, not only played the position you played, but works in the organization that, you know, signed you. And what does it mean to have him around and kind of have a shared experience where you both come from a country that, uh, you know, doesn't have baseball as a huge community for baseball, um, but was able to become a successful professional? Um, A lot of it is just the connection with him with the Brewers that can help me get to like enough information I can get each off season and stuff like that. Cause a lot of things come through him and um, just telling me like what I'm doing and how, how to help. But a lot of the successful stuff comes from a lot of just training and tips and stuff like that. Alex back here. What's the best city in the Midwest league? Um, I guess Wisconsin. Uh, <laughs> well, Appleton's obviously great cause it's always been ho- nice at home, but probably the best hotel so far is at, uh, Quad cities. That's, that's that's where you want to go for the great hotels. So, yeah, it's known for that. I think right. known around the country for the great hotels. Right. When I think quad cities, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was pretty obvious to tell that you were feeling good when you came back and played in Wisconsin because you basically come back right away and smack a homer. Uh, is, was that quite a boost to? The season, like emotionally and mentally, to get the call to the big leagues, is that alleviated some pressure what impact has that had on your emotion while you're playing the game um yeah it was crazy uh at that game i was currently over two and then that third at bat i was uh two strikes in the hole and um it was all i wanted to do was for the ball and play get that extra insurance run across the plate but and then i hit it and it was a home run and it just felt so much better just i don't know it was something about it just Put, put some relief off, I guess. My shoulders, even though there wasn't any relief or stress going around, but in my mind, I thought there still was, but it was uh, a good day and a great end to the week. Alex, give her two, Give us two or three of your uh, Appleton teammates who you want Brewers fans to know about as like, you know, when they check the box scores, names that they should look for. It doesn't have to be like the big time, you know, it doesn't have to be the biggest you know, the pro the guys on the list or whatever, but just guys you love playing with that, that you think, uh, you know, have a shot to do what you did and, and make it to the big leagues. Um, I'm going to say obviously Darian Miller. 
Uh, I'm going to go Xavier Warren as well because he's a great guy, switch hitter like me. Plays third base, unbelievable. And I'm going to go Micah Bello as well, the Hawaiian guy. He's one of my good mates too here down here, so he's great. All right. Alex, thanks so much. Congratulations again on your taste of the majors. We can't wait to see you back up here because you're just a fun interview and a fun person. So that's the type of person we like in the clubhouse. Yeah, I was going to say too, Alex, you, you gave us like a really fun day, those of us who covered the team. We love, the, we love great stories, and your story was just fantastic start to finish. I mean, I'm not going to lie. We really wanted you to get in that ball game somehow. Um, but we hope that we see you back in Milwaukee someday. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, it was a great day, and uh, I hope to be back there soon. All right, Tim, you're a young Dilly. We're, we're going back in the time machine. You're in high A ball, and suddenly you get a call to go up to the big leagues. How is 31-year-old – no, just kidding. How is 23-year-old Tim Dillard handling that situation? You got to enjoy the ride. <laughs> I mean, you know it's not going to be forever. You know it's going to be right back. But you get there, and you just bring as much energy as you can, as much fun as you can, learn as much as you can, meet everybody. Uh, but, yeah, I would be hiding in a locker for sure. <laughs> yeah, Lane, I mean, we can listen to them, uh, you know, have a little bit of modesty, these ball players, But we know it's a freak-out moment, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Think about guys that are big prospects. Um, you know, so and, and obviously that's not necessarily the Alex Hall situation, right? But guys that know pretty much if I stay healthy, I'm going to get my shot. And think about all the scrambling they do when they get that call 18 hours before, 24 hours before, whatever it might be, that they're going to go up and make their big league debut the next day. And I'm talking mainly about position players. Pitchers have a little, a starting pitcher has a lot more warning um, that something's happening as they're starting to plan um, for their next start. But um, from a position, I, I'm thinking about like Keston Hero when he made his debut in 2019 in Philadelphia. And he's scrambling trying to get on the phone and get his family you know flown into Philadelphia and trying to get a hold of people and I think he found out pretty late at night like I think it was like 10 30 11 o'clock at night the night before the next game um those are those are incredible moments but there's a lot going on and there's a lot of stress and there's not a lot of chance to just kind of exhale and get your breath so think about like Alex Hall's situation where this comes completely out of the blue and you're having a hard time even processing it as you're being told that this is happening. And then you don't even have a chance to really get excited about it because you're in a car and you're heading to Milwaukee. Um, right. it's, it's such a cool story. I hope that Alex Hall has a chance to come up and get in games and, and be a big leaguer. We hope for that for everybody because that's, that's what this is all about. And um, it's such a fun moment for everybody when they get that opportunity and we want them all to be able to be established and have big league careers because that's what this is about. But um, beyond just love of the game. But um, for Alex Hall, if he doesn't, and we're all rooting for him, that he does get back up here and have a chance to have a big league career. But if he doesn't, that's going to be one of the great a- anecdotal stories in Brewers history just from a uniqueness standpoint. I mean, we're all going to always talk about that day, and he's going to talk about it forever. That yeah, he got to come up to the big leagues. He didn't get in a game. But it's a it's a moonlight Graham situation, and that's and if that's what happens, right? So, 
Um, just a cool deal. Happy for him that he got a taste, and I'm cheering for him and, and rooting for him that he's going to have another chance to come up and, and get in the game at some point in his career. Yeah, don't don't wink, kid. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Let the pitcher know that I know something he doesn't. <laughs> Easy move, <laughs> like Graham. <laughs> no, good for him, man. I we were just in uh, D.C. That's where I made my debut. I found out that morning, and it was a scramble just to get to the field. You know couple hours for game time and I'm sweating through my suit and I almost get run over by the by the last bus you know that had Uke on it it had Brian Anderson on it and everybody's like who are you and I'm like exactly I'm I don't think I'm supposed to be <laughs> you know and I was scrambling but at the same time I, I was just put on the roster that offseason and I was throwing 96 which at the time was hard <laughs> and I had a one ERA in AAA so when you talk about expecting it I mean, I don't say I don't. I don't want to say I was entitled to it, but I thought, you know, if they have a need, I in the bullpen, I'm probably going to be the first guy up. And then you fast forward three years later, I'm throwing sidearm. I'm not doing that great uh, in AAA. It wasn't on the roster, and we were about to start the first game of a second game of a doubleheader at about 10:30 at night. And the pitching coach grabbed me and was like, "Hey, can you start this game?" And I was walking out to you know for like the game, like five minutes before the game started, and I was like, "Yeah." I was like, I'll start this game. I was like, here, hold my coffee. And he goes, no, I'm just kidding. You're, you're getting called up. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I didn't even believe him. I was like, that's no, that's why. What? What are you talking about? So that's just I, mean. I got kind of both of those moments in a way. And uh, they're equally sweet. But at the same time, they're equally memorable. So his second time getting to the big leagues is going to be just as memorable as, as this amazing uh, story that he has now. All right. Well, that's all we have time for. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, follow our hosts. You can find Lane Grindle at Lane Grindle on Twitter and Instagram. You can find Dim Tillard at Dim Tillard on Twitter and Instagram. You can listen to them both. They have competing pre and post game shows. Uh, well, I mean, Lane kind of wraps things up for a little bit after the game. So I recommend listening to them simultaneously and then telling them who did better. Uh, <laughs> but right now they're both actually on the game broadcast so listen to those simultaneously and <laughs> tell them who did better uh, there's nothing like listening to two baseball broadcasts at the same time so highly recommend look for Adam McAlvey we'll give him credit since he did some on the street work Adam McAlvey on Twitter and Instagram on Facebook and on Brewers.com of course make sure you're following the Brewers on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok and we'll see you next week 